This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray. Herbert, the handsome and very happy and colour-coordinating horticulturalist. <laughs> you had to get that bit in, didn't you? In Cambridge, we have Thordis, Maria, Sophia, Friedrichsson. Um, I must say that your background is looking amazingly well-coordinated today, and I love your top. Oh! Thank Is there you. Anything you need to confess about that? Well, you might have had a tip off that I made it. So I'm doing unashamed showing off by being very smug that I made well, it. Well, that's good. It. That's very good. <laughs> well done. What's it made of? Is it made of a very sort of soft sort of wool? It's, it's cotton because I realised during lockdown, I had knitted my way through lockdown and created some jumpers, the first sweaters I'd ever knitted. Um, but then I realised I couldn't wear any of them because they were all so warm. So I tried to find a nice sort of holy pattern with, um, with a cotton so that I could actually wear it on a hot day. You know what you need now? You need a piece of innovation to make some sleeves that you can slot in for cool evenings. <laughs> like little clip-on ones. Very yes. designery. Well, like that. yeah. The person that gave Alan the tip off that I'd made this is, uh, is somebody who's currently hiding behind a mystery window. We are welcoming back one of our favorites to the podcast. So on a drum roll, it is Bridget Lisa Girling, as we established back on episode three of Talking Dirty. And the reason <laughs> you're back is not only because we love you, and I avidly follow your Instagram at Moss and Stone Floral Design, and you just make us so happy every day with these beautiful, bountiful floral posts. But also something exciting has happened between the last time you appeared on our podcast and today. Yes, it has. I've launched my very first online course at the Moss and Stone Flower School. So I'm very, very excited. And it's all about summer. Whereabouts is it? It's an online course, so you have to do it online. But right. it was all filmed in my garden and in my studio at home. Right. So it's all, the idea was for people to feel like they're actually with me, like yeah. they would be if they were having a one-to-one -one class. Because obviously this year we haven't been able to do that. So this was a way of being able to sort of have guests in my home virtually rather than in reality. Well, the great thing is you can have a lot more people taking part in this, can't you? I can. I can have lots of guests at once. <laughs> <laughs> Very clever. I haven't, I haven't uh, seen the whole course, but um, around about the time you were launching it, you put a little sneaky peek in one of your Instagram stories. And this is just the stuff that dreams are made of. It's all dreamy and beautiful and absolutely resplendent with dahlias and rudbeckias and all of the flowers that just seem to be blooming bountifully in your garden. Well, the, the idea, thank you very much for that, by the way. The idea is that each month I focus on what's happening in the garden right now and use those ingredients because that's just what's dear to my heart. I think seasonality and using what's available, it's just the most authentic and exciting way of working with flowers really. So 
Each month I wander the garden, usually with Hetty. She's usually by my side, helping me snip a few bits. So there's a little video of going around the garden and cutting, and then going back into the studio. And each month I make a bouquet, and I make a table arrangement, and then something on a slightly larger scale, if you're interested in making something a little grander and bigger. I can imagine <laughs> and Alan then doing that. <laughs> yes, exactly. It has been known. <laughs> So um, it's packed full of beautifully filmed videos by my lovely friend Harry, who's just a superstar. He's really young and he's just starting out in his videography career. And then, of course, this year happened, so that put a stop to it. So it was kind of a perfect synergy of um, he needed something to do and I needed something to do. And it was just, let's do this. Why not? So uh, it's all come together. Just at the, It's our silver lining from the whole coronavirus thing. It's, it's quite so, a silver lining. Um, it's, it's funny that that idea of keeping yourself busy during lockdown, because I know, Alan, you spent so much of it, you know, turning your attention to parts of the garden and, and lavishing attention on that and using up as much plant material as you had because you couldn't necessarily get your hands on you. Well, I have. Yeah. But I mean, the, the amazing thing is that, you know, however however you th good you think you are, you're never as good as you think you are, if you know what I mean. And I've always, I've always tried to say to myself, well, no, don't buy too many plants because they'll sit around in pots. And I have to say that um, we've got a plant fair coming up, as you know, um, and I just ordered some fantastic plants from Bob Brown, who's coming to the plant fair from Cotswold Garden Flowers. And he has several things in his catalogue that are, shall we say, not cheap, um, but they're very, very rare things that you just don't get the chance to buy. So I made a list and I had a text last night telling me that um, we've got your order put ready and it's packed and we're coming on Friday. So, woof. <laughs> but, you well, know, you... The more, the more I plant, I have to say, the more the plants keep on coming because suddenly, you know, you, you, what happens is, you see, you, you go around the garden, you dig up some self-sown seedlings and you pot them. And then you put them on a standing area where they're watered automatically and you kind of forget them. And then you go back three months later and they're all ready to go in the garden. So, oh, these have got to go in the garden. And then something else follows and so on and so forth. It's, it's lovely. I'm a compulsive propagator, you see, so I take cuttings as well. I think it's really encouraging for people to realise that it's not just newbie gardeners who buy maybe a few things they shouldn't buy and leave them in a kind of waiting area. It's like a little waiting room for the garden, like on a patio have, or tucked around a corner. I have learnt something actually though to mend my ways a little bit and that is that when I buy new plants, probably from a garden centre and however reputable they are, they're probably, that pot is full of root. Um, and I've learned to pot them on immediately, I get them. So if I plant them in the garden, it doesn't matter. Um, but if, if I plant them on into a larger pot, it means they've got time to stand and grow. I, if I don't pot them on, they'll just stand there and get looking more and more miserable, really. That is a top tip. That's a very good top tip. <laughs> Bridget, do you have anything in the waiting room of your garden at the moment? Well, I haven't actually, I have, Unlike Alan, not bought any plants this year, which I think is probably the f a first. And I've resisted going back to a garden centre because I have so many, so many seeds, actually. So I've started to sow seeds for next year and I now have 150 million wallflowers that I've now got to look after and keep going. And I've potted all of those on. But at least now it's not so hot. I feel like they've got a good chance of pulling through. <laughs> Getting them in the ground, and getting it. but they're, they're amazing. They seem to just survive with or without me. 
so they've been really good and I've uh, also sewn an awful lot of um, digitalis Sutton's apricot Ooh. which I just love and I seem to have got hundreds of those as well so I might be having to give a few away I'm not sure I'm going to have enough space to put everything in <laughs> <laughs> I'll have some <laughs> in the waiting room but I haven't gone and bought them I, I'm actually feeling slightly I've got withdrawal symptoms you know I haven't bought anything but then I haven't had anything that's just sat there and looked miserable just as Alan said and made me feel terrible that I haven't done anything with it I'm very <laughs> impressed I have tried to not buy anything but then I went to a garden centre the other day and they have one of those four for however much money offers and so I just thought well I can't resist there are a couple of things here I'd like and I'm sure one of the things I cannot remember the name of it but I think it was kind of an orangey lickness um which I'm oh, sure yes I know the one you mean I was yeah. gonna say I know Alan will know about it but I'd never seen it before and we know I love orange and I don't have any lickness yet so I thought I'm gonna get me that but you're probably about to tell me it's really miffy no it's not it's a bit <laughs> floppy yeah. Um, yes. That's interesting. So I think, I mean, it, it would benefit from, if I say crowd planting, I don't mean sort of crammed in too much, but it will benefit from the support of other plants. Um, so all that, or either that or twiggy little, just the few little twigs inserted around the clump just to, to, to bounce it up a little bit. Do you know, every year it's kind of my resolution to support my plants better. And every year I think I've improved and I've still not improved enough. So next year I'm going to support my plants better. We've had so much trouble with the weather this year, though. Well, I do think that the, the rain and the high, high winds has not helped. I really no. got in there and tried to stake every sunflower I planted. I think staking um, and putting in maybe plant rings and things for perennials is definitely the, the way forward for me. But, you know, a bit of investment, I think, in plant supports. I mean, Alan, you've That's got all kinds. That's trouble is when you have a very large garden. That's a very large investment. Fortunately, mine's <laughs> tiny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now one very memorable thing Bridget about the last podcast you joined us on was the show and tell you brought I felt like you set the bar high for anybody who <laughs> followed you and also for yourself so have you gone to such great lengths again or have you held uh, back a little bit I, I, I've toned it down this time <laughs> I have called show and tell would you like to see yes well I've, I've actually got two little vases of things the first one is very little, but I need to show you this because I only noticed them last week. Look, my little autumn cyclamen has started to flower. Oh, I'm just so excited with those. Yeah, beautiful. I'm going to do something. I know, just pretty little carpets of little cyclamen, which, given that we're now in September, seems appropriate. So there's those. I know they're very obvious, but I thought it would be nice to show you some of my favourites from this summer, as we're kind of uh, in autumn now. I kind of think September's autumn, isn't it? So one of my favourites, I think I might have talked about this before, is Little Chocolate Cosmos. Can you see him? Hold him onto yes. your skin, that's better. He's so pretty. Do you like chocolate? Particularly under your chin. Do you like chocolate? <laughs> I do like chocolate. And yes, you do. Smells chocolate. <laughs> so I love those. This is like a little dancer. 
in my actually in my course I talk about the different types of flowers and how I use them and I would consider this a dancer you don't need very many but they just sort of float above and have their own little party in a vase <laughs> so I love it <laughs> flowers are always having a party I think um, and what else have I got to show you one of my absolute favorite roses is it's actually not great for flower arranging Oh my goodness, come on, untangle yourselves. Look, Rosa Mutablis, I think that's how you say it. That's right. I love this. Absolutely love it. It will work, work in water, but it just doesn't last very long. But the colour, I mean, just, it fades from this beautiful, almost fuchsia pink through to a pale, pale apricotty yellow. I haven't got one of those ones, but this one's going. But they don't last very long, but I absolutely love it. And it's so flowery. And because it's so simple, the bees love it. Absolutely. It's covered in insects all of the time. Makes it me very is, happy. It's, it's Rosa chinensis metabolis, which is a Chinese rose. And it has a sister called Rosa crimson bengal, which is also a chinensis hybrid. And both metabolis and crimson, crimson yes, bengal, which is a pure, pure red. They flowered for 12 months last year, even through the depths of winter, which wasn't very cold or anything, I know. But on the south front of our house, we have one of those trained on its own roots. Um, and you can keep it. I mean, the great thing is it's just so versatile. You're right, Bridget, about it flowering almost continuously. But the great thing is on its own roots, you don't get suckers. You can manipulate the rose to your heart's content. You can pull it against the wall and it will just go up and up and up. And ours is at least 12 feet tall and it just covers itself with flowers in flushes throughout the season. Or you can keep it cut back to a shrub rose height of about four feet. I mean, it's just wonderful. One of those wonderful garden plants that you, you look at and you think, why doesn't everybody grow this? <laughs> exactly. I don't know why I didn't have it in my life. I think I had it, I got it about three years ago. Yeah. Best thing I ever bought. Mm. Just love it. It's reputedly a yellow version of Rosa chinensis as well. Um, and I think we may have got it coming just to try it and see whether it works or not. Personally, I'm not a great fan of yellow roses. I like them to, I like roses to be soft and rosy, if you know what I mean. Well, what do you think of this one? I like it. Is, blousy. This is, is. What is it? Lark, lark Ascending. Oh, that's a David Austin road, the Lark, yeah, lark Ascending. Another absolute stunner. Can I go, can I go posh? Yes. Darling, that's so country heist. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> but again, I love it. It's maybe not the best one. I mean, you put it in a bridal bouquet and it would never get down the aisle. But for in a, in a bowl or in a vase and in the garden, again, it's got those lovely open centres. The insects just love it. And it's very, very, very flowery. It pumps out flowers all of the time. Love it. Makes me very happy again. I like that. Really that. That the, the peachy blush of that is, yes. is speaking to me, right to my heart. Look at that little, uh, can you see that little flush there? Matching your lovely top. <laughs> Colour coordinated <laughs> with your show and tell, Bridget. I know, I can't help so. And then I'm hoping Alan will be able to tell me what this is. Because... It's one of my favourite dailies, and again, I love it. It doesn't last very long, so it's it's um, great for using at home, but perhaps not for commercial floristry. But because it's open, again, the insects love it, but it's got the most amazing colours. 
I can't tell you exactly what it is without doing a bit of research. Um, but the thing about dahlias like that is that if you raise your own from seed, and I often take seed from various dahlias, um, and all the progeny so far have become, they're either collarettes with a little ray of filaments around the center or they're single flowered. And I've got flowers amongst my seedlings that are the same color as yours. And they range in height too, which is marvelous from, you know, from tiny, tiny things to about three feet or about a meter to about two and a half meters tall. And I think that's when they speak to me is when you get those lovely single flowers in those kind of blush um, tones with a bit of um, pink added and a bit of orange added to the pink as well. Thunder will like that, I know. <laughs> and when you get them and, and, and they're on a bush, they almost take on the look of a shrub because they are so big. They look tremendous, they look absolutely stunning. It's always worthwhile raising a few dahlias from seed. You might get nothing that you, you like, but you might get something absolutely wonderful. And of course, like all seedlings, it will be genetically unique. Well, I'm quite lucky to self-seed in my garden anyway, because I'm so yeah. sandy. So yeah. I get these lovely little, and I've got one I'm waiting for. It's put itself in my asparagus bed. And it's just, it's got three buds and I haven't seen the flowers yet. I keep going to look every day. And come on, come on, it's autumn now. You've got to show me what you look oh, like. Don't worry, don't worry, they will. They'll carry on until, <laughs> oh, the end of October and beyond if we don't get any frost. We've done quite sorry, a few videos on growing dahlias from seed and following, you know, Alan with, with just the leaves and then going back and seeing what the flowers have turned out like and whether they're, you know, exciting, whether they're what you wanted them to be based on the parent plants. If people don't have their own dahlias to collect seed from, of course, you can buy packets of Bishop's Children and things like that, which will flower in the first year and often give you really lovely dark foliage as well. So they're well worth trying and they just keep returning and bringing wonderful flowers to your garden for hardly any money. They're like the most cost-effective way of, uh, of bringing flowers to the border. I think the other cost-effective way is if you visit a garden that's open to the public and you happen to see um, a dahlia with a seed pod on it or a seed head on it, and it's starting to go papery, do ask if you can have it, but don't take it willy-nilly because the owner might be keeping it for themselves. But if you if you say, you know, do you want that seed head? If not, may I try growing them from seed? They'll probably be flattered that you want something from their garden and just give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I can well imagine Alan doing that. There were, you mentioned Bridget dancers. It looked like in your show and tell when it flew past the camera, there looked to be one or two little dancers in there. Yes, would you like to show you this? Yes. <laughs> well, this one is an absolute favourite. Can you see it? It's a little scabious. I've written down what it's called. It's called, <laughs> I won't be able to get it right. Scabious, obviously. Uh, columbaria. Ocroluce. And then I've sort of scribbled it. Luca. Ultra Luca, yeah. Yes. Yes. But... It's a beautiful plant and I, I bought these as little plants from one of the growers that I go to and she grew these all from seed from her plant. But they just look, I mean, just look at the amazing little shapes. You don't have to design with these. They just design themselves. You just pop them in and you've already got a design. But they just float about everything life, just like they do in the garden, really. It looks as if the seed heads are very good as well. The seed heads are fabulous. Yeah. Yes, just love it. Any plant like that always wins a place in a bowl or in my garden. 
I have you to thank Bridget for one of my standout stunner scabious this year because we were in the studio doing our radio show and I said I'd put my seed order in and I hadn't ordered Fata Morgana or however you say it and you said you must grow it and so I um, spent quite a lot more money in the second seed order one side clicked by on Fata Morgana and then bought a whole load more things Uh, but it was just the best thing I think I grew from seed this year what a lovely lemony sort of blushing again we're going back to those blush tones just such a beauty and actually quite a kind of chunky flower Yes, and the great thing is, it, it, because of those tones and the different colours, and each one is slightly different, it will go with so many things. You know, if you, want, if you want to put it with bright red things, happy days. If you want to go through to whites, it will be quite, quite happy there too. It's soft and um, unobtrusive, but very, very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, like Alan, but you're slightly more obtrusive, but in a good way. <laughs> Thanks a bunch, <laughs> um, of course, uh, the other great thing about things like scabious is they are just always smothered in insects, Alan. Yes, they are. Now, years ago, there were two um, scabious that used to be grown regularly for the cut flower trade. Um, and one was a blue one called Clive Greaves. And there was the white counterpart, which I can't remember the name of. But then they're notorious to get through the winter because they really needed a very light, sandy soil. And they used to dry out. Uh, they used to get wet. I mean, sorry, they used to get wet during our winters. And they, I'm talking of the days when we had snow, of course, and they had to sit under the blanket of snow. Today, there's a, they've been superseded by a race of many, many um, scabious that you can grow today. And one of my favourites is a variety called Farmer Blue. That's F-A-M-A, Blue. Um, and whereby old Clive Greaves, beautiful though he was, he was a very pure pale blue. Um, he sort of intermittently produced flowers. You didn't ever get, a, 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 you have to grow a whole row of them to get a decent bunch. Um, Farmer Blue produces many, many more flowers. Um, so you don't need quite so many plants. And it is a very dark form of Clive Greaves, but there is a little bit of purple in the flower to add a piquancy. That sounds, sounds very lovely. lovely. And that will survive the winter, will it? Yes. Yes, it's good. Mm-hmm. Especially in your soil, which is light and sandy. I might write that one down too. I think you might. <laughs> you see, I come on this show just to get information out of you two. Why do you <laughs> think I'm here? That's what the whole program's about, isn't it? This whole sort of exercise is about because you, we all bounce off one another and then out comes a little gem of information and you think, hmm, I'll follow that up and I'll do it my way. <laughs> <laughs> have, we, have we worked our way through your show and tell or was there anything else hiding in no. that vase? I've got, I've got more, I've got more. Let me show you some more. How much more do you want? All of it. Uh, okay, right. Here's one that I absolutely couldn't do without. It's Plume Poppy. I don't know the Latin name. Maclea. Yes, that's it. And it's huge. I love anything that makes me feel tiny in the garden. Makes me feel like a child again. And it spreads quite vigorously, so you do have to be very careful with it. Oh, but my goodness. The seed pods, this is the flower, but the seed pods go a lovely sort of burnt brown kind of reddish color they are fabulous so and the leaves are amazing they're just the most beautiful color massive leaves i'm showing you a little tiny tiny bit of it but for flower arranging absolutely fantastic and it dries and i'll be using it in the winter for dried arrangements as well 
just an amazing plant. Again, the insects love it. So I'd highly recommend that, but you do have to watch it because it <laughs> likes to go everywhere. It's a wanderer. It is a wanderer. It definitely is a wanderer. And this good old Gora, Gaura, however you say it, whirling butterflies. Mm. I was given a plant by a friend, and this is self sowing all over the place, and I'm spreading it around the garden. And just to see little clumps of this dancing in the wind with the grasses and things, just so pretty. I love it. Again, it's good for um, arranging with. And Can't insects. go wrong. And the, the insects. insects. And there's also, um, there's, there are many different forms of that. That was Gora Linheimii, I think, that you've got yes. there. There are many different forms today, and they've, they've got some lovely pink flowered forms of it as well. I mean, the white is absolutely beautiful, and it looks really, really good in meadow plantings where you've got... Oh, not meadow, cornfield plantings where you've got annual weeds of yesteryear's kind of thing, to which we add asceltsias and things like that. Um, and it looks absolutely stunning. And don't forget love and a mist, because love and a mist always works as well and has such a long season as well. But Gora now comes in lovely shades of pink, so you can, and with purple foliage, so you can actually bury your plantings. And you mentioned that it's self-seeded. I just didn't realise, as the newest gardener on, on this podcast, it took me years to realise how easy they were to grow from seed. And I thought when I bought the packet, I can't remember which one it was I grew from seed, but when I bought the packet, I thought, oh, here I go again. Buying one of these things is going to be really difficult. And I've spent, you know, three pounds or whatever on a packet of seed that won't turn into anything. And I just got huge amounts of success. And then the plants have survived the winter and they're just these wonderful, again, cost-effective ways of bringing all of these wonderful flowers to the border because they just keep going, don't they? They're wonderful. Once they start flowering, they don't stop. I had a light bulb, bulb moment many years ago, and it's something I just did. It hadn't occurred to me. And I went to visit somebody, and I actually took them some furniture. They bought some antique furniture from me when I had a shop many, many years ago, and they lived by the seaside. And I remember going into their garden, and I backed my car back, uh, reversed my car into their driveway. And as I got out, I looked down, and there were lavender seedlings growing in the gravel of their driveway. And it never occurred to me that lavender came from seed. I don't know why. <laughs> But, you know, suddenly you, it's a light bulb moment. You wake up and you suddenly think, goodness me, in the right position. You see, gravel is a wonderful medium for self-sowing plants because it's always moist, even in the droughtiest weather. Because of condensation, it's always moist underneath. And that moisteness will get the seeds to germinate. We know from the desert here where Graham refers to <laughs> agapanthus as that but 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 weed. <laughs> seeds everywhere. <laughs> It's funny that you should talk about gravel because I quite often gravel my borders so that they're well mulched and just as a nice sort of foil to the plants and because then things seed. And I'm not a big fan of weeding. I like to, you know, be quite judicious about it, let things self-seed and only pull out the really unwanted things. But just the other side of this window, when I went out to do a rare moment of weeding the other day, I discovered that most of the things I thought I had to pull out were actually little royal bumble seedlings. They were little baby bumbles, little baby salvias. And, yeah. um, and I'm so I'm very excited. I mean, if they all grow, it will be a forest of salvia. So I'm going to have to do something about it. But if you're growing, you friends. Yes. If you're growing some of those shrubby salvias, I mean, and you get a whole load of different varieties together. Um, James Sonii or um, I can't remember what the other one is now. Um, but the shrubby salvias, if you get them together as again, I mean, just look at them. They'll be humming with bees. And as the bee goes from one plant to another to another, any self-sown seedlings that you get 
remember what I said about seedlings always being genetically different from their mother and father, but they will actually, the self-sown seedlings, you could suddenly get a new plant. And it happened to some friends of mine at, um, at Norfolk Herbs, and they found a lovely, lovely dark red salvia. Um, and we still grow it in the garden here today. Um, and I don't know that they, they do sell it. They do sell it. And it is a, just a, a dream of a plant and it comes back every year um, as a shrubby plant. You just give it a light trim over and back it goes again. And there's a full circle moment because the royal bumble that's had all of these babies was from Norfolk Herbs. Ah, well, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've realised we're running out of time again, so we better do some flow-mo. Um, I'll go first because mine is a cheat, really. I'm going full Allen and having flow-mo about an entire group of plants rather than just one. And that is because <laughs> chatting to a friend of mine about things they wanted in their garden, I realised I don't have any chrysanthemums in my new garden. And we're coming to that time of year when I should be able to just sit there and, and you know, bask in the glory of some wonderful autumn chrysanthemums and I don't have any. So I wondered if between you, you could tell me which were your favourites that I should be thinking about getting. Want me to start? Yeah. Right, well, because you love orange, there's one that you must have and it's called Dixter Orange. It was selected at Great Dixter by Christopher Lloyd and it has the most amazingly long blooming season. It starts blooming as early as July. Now, not everybody wants chrysanthemums blooming in their garden, but if you only got a small space, um, and it's important to make most of that space, I would recommend um, Dixter Orange. Another one I like very much with very shiny petals, that is a single, it's dark red, and it's called Winnings Red. Um, and that is a lovely plant. One thing I would say about chrysanthemums is they need frequent division to give it their best so if you hike it out of the ground every year and pull it apart and plant the crown separately any that you don't want pot up and give away to somebody they'll thank you for it um, and that's the only thing that I think you really need to be aware of um, otherwise they do tend to sort of deteriorate over time but they repay good cultivation. Bridget were there any well, more to add? I have got some that I cosset very, very carefully, probably not well enough, but they're in pots and I take them in and out of my greenhouse. So they're outside right now, but I keep holding them back so they'll flower until in November. So as soon as it starts to get a bit chilly, I'll put them in the greenhouse and then hopefully I will have chrysanthemums at Christmas. So I don't keep them actually in the ground outside. They're very much for cut flowers. And I, I'm brutal to them all through the year, just cutting off any kind of flower head that might be trying. <laughs> and from now on, I'll probably just leave them and hope that I've, I've timed it correctly, <laughs> that I will get flowers in November. Because they tend to only flower once. Um, so once the flowers have come, that's it. So the timing is a bit... Uh, a bit hit and miss. I'll share a secret with yeah, you. Yeah, hit and miss. I'll share a, share a secret with you. I'm doing exactly the same thing this year. I um, staked them all last weekend because they were sort of leaning a bit. Um, and I, my idea with them, they're in the greenhouse at the moment. Um, I put them, put them in the shade during this hot, hot weather. We kept them watered and kept them fed. And I pinched them back once. And I think I'm about to pinch them back again because we've got th nearly three months until Christmas. And I want the foot to have the flowers at Christmas time as well. So... We'll try and we'll see what happens. I mean, to any <laughs> a, a serious chrysanthemum growers, this is, um, well, I dare I say, it is a hit and miss um, way of disbudding your plants. But as long as we get flowers at Christmas time, I don't think Bridget and I are going to worry about whether they're as big as your head or as small as a sixpence. <laughs> exactly. Because well, it doesn't matter. You're absolutely right. It doesn't matter what they're like. 
but when you cut them, they can sit on your table for three weeks. You know, they'll just, they'll just be beautiful. And you don't actually, have much heat in your house then. No, I don't. It's jolly drafty. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of jumpers are required in my house. <laughs> so, Bridget, what is your flomo? Well, I've got something that actually isn't a flomo right at this moment. It's a flomo of my floral life, actually. And if Alan can find a way that I can get hold of this plant, I would be so happy. But it's um, an Australian native, and I know of it as flannel flower, but I've written it down, uh, Aconitus helianthi. And it's, it's, again, it's a very simple flower. And I see um, florists using it, obviously, in Australia and America and places. And you just can't get it here that I'm aware of. Hopefully you can get a plant or seeds. And it's um, just like a very simple silvery daisy, but it, it apparently it's called flannel flower because it's quite... Um, flannelly. <laughs> yeah, flannelly. Apparently it is a bit flannelly. <laughs> do you know it, Alan? Yes, I do. Have you I got think- it? I haven't got it, no. Um, but I think no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, look at various sites. I, I would say Plant World Seeds is a good um, source of uh, unusual plant uh, plants from seed. Um, look at Gelito. There, that's a huge company, and they 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 um, have seeds from around the world. Um, and there is another seed company. I can't remember the name. Moles Seeds. M O L E S. And try those as well. But it is available. There's one that is worldwide. It's Silver Hill Seeds. Um, and they have seeds from exactly, you know, the, all over the every hemisphere there is virtually. Um, so you're bound to get it somewhere. Well, I've been reading about it because I want it so badly. And it does like to be in fairly dry, sandy soils. So yeah. <laughs> hello, yeah. welcome to my garden. <laughs> What's not to like? <laughs> yes. Whether it will survive the winter, I don't know. But you know, if, it, if I can grow it from seed, it doesn't really matter. No, exactly. It is frustrating when you see something, and this is probably a bit of a social media thing, but when you see things on social media, particularly from all the kind of flower farms and things in um, North America, and then you just realise they don't seem to be available over here. I was looking up the sunflower lemonade this morning, which basically looked a bit like a teddy bear, but tall, like a teddy bear sunflower, <laughs> you know, that kind of double frizzly affair that I always just think they look very cuddly um but I, I couldn't really find it quickly my my initial google it just seemed to be in America so you think there are similar ones but everyone said this is the most floriferous this is the tallest most long flowering most robust plant so I gave up it, it is very easy you're absolutely right to fall down the rabbit hole of social media lusting yes. <laughs> <laughs> well we have perfectly beautiful little treasures here <laughs> Nevertheless, I guess it's the human condition. <laughs> right, talking of lusting after plants, Alan Gray, what is your current FLOMO? My current FLOMO is to actually grow more um, hardy varieties of fuchsias. Um, and the reason for this is because um, I think probably about three years ago, I was lucky enough to go with Graham to um, the Sandringham uh, Gardens at Sandringham House, Her Majesty's um, residents on the northwest coast of Norfolk and we had a guided tour of the garden by Martin the head gardener and one of the things that was blooming and looking wonderful at this late juncture in the year it was later than this it was into October were hardy fuchsias and they were planted as shrubs in shrub borders 
And I looked at them and I just thought, I didn't realise there were so many different varieties. And I think Martin told us he has something like over 60 different varieties of hardy fuchsia, but they haven't got round to cataloguing them yet. But they're just such good doers. And in this current weather pattern that we're in, where we're having longer um, periods of, shall we say, benign weather, um, i.e. the autumn goes on way into the winter, um, hardy fuchsias come into their own because they love growing in cool, damp conditions. Um, and sometimes they get a pesky bug called the capsid bug earlier in the year, which nestles into the fuchsia's tips and it eats the tips and the flower buds. So you don't get any flower, just get manky old eaten leaves. But at this time of the year, the breeding season for the capsid bugs is over and they've gone. And so the fuchsias can now come into their own. So that was my flomo to grow more varieties of hardy fuchsia, but they have to have um, a certain criteria. I don't like the big blousy ones. I only really like the ones that um, uh, more like species where they have dainty flowers, small flowers. Um, and one that I potted on the other day called Chenoir Gaultier uh, is a lovely, just a little tiny little purple and red flower. It's got the, the purple skirt and the red corolla and it just looks absolutely wonderful because it smothers itself in flowers. And another one that I like is Fuchsia Hartwigii, which we grow in a very sheltered position here, which has blooms a bit like Thalia, the Fuchsia Thalia, Thalia. Um, which is bright orange and these tiny tubular little, little flowers. But it's not just that I want to grow fuchsias for the sake of growing fuchsias like they do at Sandringham. I want to do something more exciting with them than that. And I thought it would be nice if we're sort of replanning an area to actually concentrate on the autumnal theme, if you like. And you could add to that um, lots of gingers because lots of the ginger family, hedicheums, are getting hardier and hardier because the climate is becoming more, more and more benign. And I think with judicious planting, that is planting them quite deep. So they've got five to six inches of soil above their crowns and a good winter mulch. They will do wonderfully well for you. So fuchsias, gingers, to which I would add some, um, something called Chisostelis, which is now called Hesperantha, because they bloom from September or August actually onwards and shades of pink, white and the wonderful one, Cassinia Major, which is bright, bright red. And they just go on until they're stopped by the weather. Um, and you know, a few Michaelmas daisies scattered amongst those, I think might be absolutely wonderful. Um, that's my list of four plants combined together. But I'm sure by the time I get round to doing it, there'll be 15. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's dreamy. That is wonderful. Well, we've had quite a lot of plants already. I reckon we can squeeze just a few more into this podcast. Uh, it is for plant lovers, after all. Um, we so often run out of time for questions, but we're going to squeeze one in because I think we'll have some fun with this. And Alice in Bristol got in touch because she's got a new build. It's her first garden. It's a small new build garden with exactly the kind of soil you'd expect a new build to have. And she's got a northwest facing wall. <laughs> yeah, rubble, <laughs> clay, everything I've got. Yeah. Um, she's got a northwest facing wall. She's put a flower bed at the bottom of it and she's observed it and it seems to be in the shade a lot. But she wants to get some structure. She wants a climber, maybe a little tree, a couple of shrubs and some spring flowering bulbs. But she doesn't know what will grow in the shade. She's new to gardening, so she doesn't know... She doesn't want to go and order plants and then have them die on her. So what would you recommend for a shady border when it comes to a bit of height, a bit of structure and some all season interest? Oh, Bridget's immediately well, brandishing plants. <laughs> right, Bridget can dance around like a cheerleader with her leaves and her flowers. And Alan's going to start, start with the wall. wall. <laughs> yeah, because I think there's a couple of plants that I would recommend. Um, and that's the climbing fuchsia. Um, 
Mrs. Boothby or whatever it's called. It's not a climb-up, so you'd have to put a trellis on the wall, but what it is, it's a large scandent shrub, and it will go easily up to six to eight feet against a wall. Now, for the last five or six years here in the garden, it, it's kept all its top growth on. Um, it, it doesn't die right to the base, so it has flowers on it um, from June onwards, and it just gets ever better into the autumn, so I think that would be a, a plant that I'd put on the wall. The other thing I put on the wall is my favourite variegated ivy. There are two, really. One is called butter something, which has just plain uh, golden foliage, which is so bright and forgiving in the winter. And I would combine that with the winter flowering jasmine, which has lovely bright yellow stars on it from about December onwards. And if you cut that back every year after it's flowered, just to a framework on the wall, it produces new wands from the wall that will give you flowers the following winter. So it's a lovely combination to have. And if there's space, I think I would include um, a climbing hydrangea, hydrangea petiolaris, because they flower very well on a north-facing wall, but they do like to have a little bit of sun. And as it's northwest facing, it will get a little bit of kiss by the sun late in the day. Um, and when the, when the climbing hydrangea, which is deciduous, when it's out of leaf, it has this lovely sort of peeling rufous-coloured bark, which is, adds an awful lot of structure. Um, plants to go in, in in that border I would actually say something like sarcococca at the shadiest end it's an evergreen plant it has very small flowers but beautifully scented and they cut so well you can bring a small posy into the house in the winter and that's uh, that's a nice thing to do but let's go back to fuchsias again because if you if you want to plant the fuchsia as a shrub you could plant them in that border and they would do beautifully well for you but also I think I would have all kinds of spring bulbs they pass it between these shrubs especially those that are deciduous because they will they will come up and they will flower and do their stuff before the shrubs put on their leaves and hide them up so you've got that lovely sort of winter into spring um, season I'm going to nick an idea from Bridget and I'm going to say plant some autumn flowering cyclamen because they <laughs> love growing in shade um, and they, I mean the thing about cyclamen neapolitanum is the fact that they have these lovely sort of seed pods when the flower is finished and it withdraws itself like a corkscrew. The, the stalk becomes a corkscrew and brings it back to the plant. And then the ants go in when the seed pod is, is ripe and they take the seeds away because they're covered with a sticky sweet substance. And the ants eat that sticky sweet substance, leave the seed behind and it germinates wherever they leave it. So that's how you get the carpets of them. Um, and I think couple of common old plants let's have in there foxgloves and aquilegias both of which <laughs> Bridget likes both of which I mean are common old plants but they they are do-gooders they do do very well and finally I'm going to put in a little plug for Alcamilla mollis because yes. Alcamilla mollis has become um, I won't say reviled but it's become unfashionable and I think the reason is because, you know, it's, it became ubiquitous. People grow too much of it. But Alcamilla mollus, it provides these lovely um, sprays of bright lime green flowers, lovely for flower arranging, beautiful as a foil for other things in the garden. And people grumble that it sells seeds everywhere. Well, what you do is you take a big pair of shears or kitchen scissors and you gather the whole lot, leaves and all, up at the, off the plant just as it's going over and you cut them hard back. Within three weeks, you've got new leaves and those new leaves are coated with hairs and the hairs on those leaves, they actually trap little, um, little raindrops or little drops of dew and they look like little balls of mercury. They're absolutely a charming thing to have. So Alcamilla mollis is my final choice. Wow. I suspect Alan stole uh, maybe your Sutton's apricot foxglove or something like that, Bridget. What would you add to his <laughs> wonderful mix for this northwest facing well, border? 
thing I had in my um, show and tell was heuchera, which has, I mean, there's so many different types of heuchera and beautiful leaf colour. And then you get these beautiful spires of flower as well. So they do really well in shade. Um, Epimedium is probably one of my favourites because it just seems to survive the driest shade out there. And then you get these beautiful flowers in early spring, which just a fantastic plant. So I definitely recommend those. I was obviously going to say foxgloves because you can't go wrong with foxgloves. <laughs> we, we didn't do trees, did we? Oh, we didn't. No, well, I think for a tree, I'd recommend some form of acer. And I, I, I think I would say to Alice, go to, a, um, go to your nursery or your garden centre and ask, because some forms of acers, they stand up better to cold and, uh, not to cold, to dryness. Um, and she's over in Bristol, which is much wetter than we are over here. So that's why I'm, I'm suggesting Acer. Um, and one of my favourite Acer's is a green-leafed Acer called Acer aconitifolium, which has foliage a bit like an aconitum, but that it has lovely sort of bracts on it and colours and things. And I just love it. And I think that's a nice tree. For other trees, really the choice is Alice's. But I would urge her, if it's a small garden, to go for something that's not going to create too much shade. So I go for a fastidiate tree, you know, those kind that look like an umbrella that's blown inside out. <laughs> um, you see on drawings and cartoons and things, but they, they grow upright. So therefore they don't take too much um, shade from the garden. And one of my favorite is a fastidiate um, variety. And I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, liquid Ambar, Liquid Ambar. And it has those lovely maple-like leaves that, that they, they change to apricot, yellow, maroon, red, but do make sure if you're going to buy those, you get a named clone because it's only named varieties that are reliably colour well in the autumn. And the other thing is I would just say to Alice is to buy a pair of steps, decent sized garden step ladders if you can, so that you can shorten the branches of the liquid dambar um, so that it doesn't grow too big for you. I don't know how I can follow up liquid amber with what I wanted to suggest, but I suddenly remembered how amazing my Omphalodes cherry ingram was. Um, this, uh, I, it was one of those plants I really fell for in the garden centre and I didn't mean to buy it, but it happened. It was quite expensive for what it was. Um, but then I didn't resent it because it just flowered and flowered with those really lovely, vivid blue, little tiny forget-me-not flowers. And um, another, another plant that, you see, this is, this is, we could go on for hours like this, couldn't we? <laughs> I mean, I've got a seedling of a dead nettle, a lamium, a dead nettle that appeared in a border. And I thought, well, I'll leave it to see what happens. And it is, it's a lovely dead nettle. It's, it's not too vigorous. It's got green leaves with an enormous splash of silver in the center. And it's got the palest pink flowers and it just flowers continually. And when it gets tired, I just cut it back and off it goes again. And it is a lovely thing to have. It's just under, what I call discreet understory plant. It's not, it's not going to grab you and say, look at me, but it's discreet and it's there and it's all the time. Shade doesn't have to be dull, does it? No, not at no. all. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we have definitely run out of time because the secret is we actually ran out of time once already. and We just kept going because <laughs> we were having too much fun. So thank you for just, this is going to be at least a two plant list kind of podcast. I think there are so many <laughs> wonderful treats that have um, been shared over the last however many minutes it's now been uh, so thank you for sharing thanks for your time and happy gardening both happy and gardening. you bye-bye <laughs> hey Fordis here just to say thank you so much for listening to talking dirty you are now officially our favorite person 
If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.